Happy Saturday. Happy Mother's Day to you mothers out there. Yeah. Call your mom tomorrow. Tomorrow? tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. I mean, I know that. Just joking. Hey, Natasha, Brandon, Freeze. Freeze. What's up, everyone? Wasn't Freeze Ray the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh-huh. Is that his name, though? In the Batman movie? Yeah. 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 It wasn't Iceman or anything? It was Freeze Ray? I don't know. I thought it was Freeze Ray. I, I don't know. I'm just asking. So, what's up, everybody? Hey, Chris. Mr. Freeze. There you go. Mr. That's Freeze. It. That's Freeze. it. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his worst roles. But I liked that Batman movie. I don't even remember. I, I, my, my sister was a really huge Batman fan growing up. Like she was Batman like three to five years in a row. For she Halloween. was Batman. For Halloween. Yeah, she she just loves Batman. That's her, that's her jam. Well, it's not wrong with that. Aloha, Laron. What's up? Aloha. <laughs> That's like from the That's, house bunny. Uh, Hawaiian death metal. Oh yeah, Val Kilmer. That was a good one too. Also, welcome to our newest um, our newest Supremos. I know that um, Christy and William joined last week. I just want to make sure I shout you guys out because I think they joined on Saturday. Um, but Cinder, Cinder Universe, welcome. C- what? What's up? And Cinder? I think, Cinder. I think John already got the packages out for our newest member. Maybe not Cinder, but. Not Cinder. Cinder, how do you spell that? C-Y-N-D-E-R. What Cinder. up? Look at this. See, the minute we just say, if you want to support Jen, go to Patreon. Look how many new joiners we have. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I... I do want to read a um, a couple of messages. This one's a little long, John. Hey, Brittany. Just wanted to make sure I'm shouting everybody out as they come in. This is from Christy. A love letter to John. Oh, God. <laughs> of the non-romantic variety. <laughs> and, it would have been okay if it was romantic. It's and cool. Jen and Nicole, too. After listening to one episode of this podcast, I became a patron and I have been on a binging frenzy since. My dog Banjo is probably so tired of y'all. I listen while cleaning the house, driving, walking him twice a day, working in the yard. I agree out loud and laugh out loud all of the time. I love the way John tells stories. He's great. He makes me laugh so hard. And when he asks the girls to guess where the story is going, I play along too, even when Banjo rolls his eyes. I don't care. Go ahead. Judge me. I've listened to a few cases on your podcast that another podcast is covered. Ahem, morbid. Ahem. <laughs> and I love those girls too, but I got so much more from the storytelling on your podcast. And that says a lot to me because I've been listening to them since the pandemic hit. It's the storytelling. It's phenomenal. Nicole's voice is so cute and engaging. She should definitely read for Audible. And I too am more of a dog person. So hashtag relatable. Jen's okay too, I guess. <laughs> It does not say that. It does. <laughs> JK, Jen, it wouldn't be the same without oh, you. Okay. Chemistry is on point. I have a lot of catching up to do and I can't wait. Y'all pray for Banjo. Awesome work, guys. Keep them coming. You lovely, lovely people. P.S. Oh, my God. I haven't written that since high school. John, thank you for serving our country. I admire that you have found a job you love to love and get to drink and make money telling cool stories with a couple of your favorite people after the sacrifices you made for us. Cheers. Mm. Actually, now Cheers that- to that. Yeah. 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 Cheers to to you, to you and to you and to Banjo. Thank you. And also welcome Faith, who just joined us on the live chat. Hey, Faith. Welcome. Welcome, Faith. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. All right. So this is a specific request from both Desiree and Andrew. Cheers to you guys. Thank you for this delicious looking request. Desiree. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, that's pleasant. That was good. good. I could like sip on that. 
So that was um, vodka, okay. peach schnapps, uh-huh. sour mix, uh-huh. orange juice, uh-huh. and a touch of blackberry. Mm. I could taste all of those things. That was good. Except for the vodka. Like, yeah, I couldn't <clears throat> taste the vodka at all. It was, good. it was good. I have COVID, so I can't taste it. Oh, stop it. We, <laughs> that was the worst part of COVID was not uh. being able to taste. I just ate applesauce for a while. I was like, well, I guess I should just eat vegetables. So I got a request a little bit ago. It's gonna be kind of this is gonna be kind of hard to tell, but I got a request a little bit ago from someone who served in Afghanistan, pretty close to where I was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I was browsing on YouTube and I saw like the CNN. I don't know if it's CNN, but one of these stations they were interviewing Iraqi veterans twenty years later. Oh, Jeez. <laughs> this is like crazy to think about. It's been twenty years. Yeah. And like the number one question is, you know, what was the war about? And none of them can answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. So anyway, I, you know, reached back out and I interviewed this person who wants to tell his story, specifically his war story about the first time, the first time he witnessed a, a death, a killing mm-hmm. of a man. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a different perspective on the types of cases we've done before. Yeah. You know, I um on Netflix recently that well, this past week, a new series came out called Missing Dead or Alive. And it's um it's kind of kind of like 48 hours, but it follows a, a, a police unit and it actually is the Richland County Sheriff's Department. So up in Columbia and um, the first episode, um, there was um, the guy that they thought like was responsible for this person missing, which was his mother. Um, he had served in that war. And I was like, I, and the picture that they showed on the TV, I was like, wow, like in the picture, it almost looked like John, but it wasn't John. But I was well, like, he was how, more, do, he how was, do you know? He was because more they said, Because the person I thought looked like John was the same guy that they were looking at. Oh, oh so you thought I was the bad no. guy. No, missing, no, no, you're, no, you're taking this out of out of context. But 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 um, I was like, I wonder if you ever crossed paths with him. I interviewed this guy who is going to remain anonymous. We're going to call him Joe Sargent. OK, OK. Uh, that's his name, Joe Sargent. I interviewed this guy. He wants to remain anonymous. There's certain information that I have to be like obviously opaque about because of the sensitivity of got it. What Top he told me stuff. I mean, I. You th- whatever you're like oh, don't say that word the pentagon is listening yeah <laughs> so but apparently this guy was around the same area as i was hmm. around the same time and i think if i remember correctly i think i do remember some talkings on this story but we're gonna go to google earth tonight and this is afghanistan right here you guys ready to get started or yeah yeah should we take seven more shots <laughs> We can if it's more of whatever we just had. Yeah, if you can pour it. How long does it take to pour it? Um, how about it? Can I simplify it? Maybe I should just. Uh, you know what I'll do instead? I'll get the um, peach moonshine and the peaches. Peaches, 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 peaches. All right, hang on one second. Peaches, peaches, peaches. We're going to Afghanistan, 2010, September, someday in September. This is during fighting season. So seasons. Yeah, in war, there's fighting season and then off season. Is where you don't fight. <laughs> like, is it for, because of the weather or something? Yeah. So when it gets cold, all the a lot of the Taliban who were in the mountains, they go back to Pakistan or wherever they're from. You know. Okay. 
They don't shoot you because it's too cold. All right. So in Afghanistan, and this is kind of where I was too around this area, but you have this big river that runs through here. Not a lot of greenery, huh? Well, it's the, it's the desert. Yeah, I know. And this river right here is called the Helmand River. And the reason this river is important is because of why, Jen? Why do you think, why do you think this river is hugely important? Because it's a water source for the village. Mm. There you go. So the Taliban use this to force the locals, the locals being subsistence farmers, they threaten them and kill them if they don't grow drugs instead. So the the uh, the villagers suffer. They starve to death, but they grow opium and weed for the Taliban so they can sell it to get guns to shoot at Americans. That is why this guy, Joe Sargent, and myself, I was around here too. So is a is a very heated part of Afghanistan. It's a lot of uh, okay. a lot of fighting. A yeah. highly active zone. Mm. Joe Sargent was around the same place I was. This is 2010 in September. And this story is going to be him recalling the first time he actually saw someone die. And it's completely different if you see someone get killed. It is different than like all the movies and games and even the true crime stories that, you know, we talk about. You know, the authors, true crime authors, they embellish, you Mm -hmm. know, they they kind of soup things up a little bit. Well, yeah, they got to sell books. Exactly. So, but this is the real raw, what it's like to, to kill somebody here in this story. And this is going to be like super raw. Okay. Okay. As a soldier, you live in these little villages and they're, they're pretty much all the same. These houses are built from mud and here's a photo right here. You can see. So this is where you would live somewhere like this in a village. And you see all the houses are just mud mm-hmm. because, I mean, you saw the you saw the map. What there's, else is there to make yeah, you, something out there's of? There's not even trees like you can't even get wood. Yeah. Like, there's nothing but mud. And so this is what they live in, like permanently mud yeah. and they don't have air conditioners. The village that we're going to tonight has no electricity. Okay. They don't have Twitter. They don't have Kim Kardashian. They don't have anything. They don't know who the Americans are. Some of them thought that we were still the Soviets hmm. from the 70s. Wow. Like they just don't know because they don't have access to it. They don't know what 9-11 is. They don't know who Bin Laden is. They don't give a shit, you know. They're just like little villagers that are yeah. un- in an unfortunate area. Exactly. They're just huh. villagers who were once living a, you know, a, a simple life. And now they're thrust into some bullshit conflict. And they're forced to to basically kill themselves to sell drugs for the Taliban. So that's basically the situation. Awful. Yeah. So a soldier like Joe Sargent would be put in a village around this area with several other guys, American guys, or even Australian guys, British guys. They would just be put there and they would have a main mission to protect the village, to increase the space. They would basically occupy more villages to get be less Taliban and more, you know, American presence. And the the last mission is they would train these locals how to fight. So I'm just going to prep it a little bit. So you know what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. But to prove my point, this is a a photo that I took. The Taliban, like I said, they they tell these villagers they can't grow crops anymore to feed their family. They have to only grow drugs. And this is a photo that I took over there. This is like what it's like, like seeing even the animals. Look at this cow. 
Oh, damn. I mean, this cow is like uh, skin and bones. That's what Murphy looked like when I adopted him. Yeah. Like, and the villagers look like this, too. They're starving to death because they can't grow any food. They just got to grow weed and opium. So it's a bad situation. The Taliban is terrible fucking people. Anyway, so that's what we're getting into right now. This mission is very simple. Joe Sargent has been in this compound for three to four months. He's been getting shot at for three to four months, fighting every day with the Taliban. And the mission is to take over the next compound, which is infested with Taliban. That's his mission. Now, he's with several other guys, but they've been basically waiting because the the whole goal is to, to keep increasing this American presence. However, there's a stuck point with this village. There's too much Taliban in it. They can't just go in there without being a huge catastrophe. Plus, the months that they've been waiting there, over, and they're overlooking this little compound, we'll call Compound X. They're overlooking this for months. And during those months, they see what appears to be the Taliban coming in and out and mining the place with explosives, building underground tunnels and things of this nature, which means that they know eventually Joe Sargent and his team are going to come take it over. So they're getting prepared. So it's like an awkward waiting game. But eventually Joe Sargent has to advance. He has to. Like, there's That's no the other way. Point. He's got to take this compound over. This is the Hellman River here. Okay. Here you have Compound X, which is right here. Uh-huh. This compound is on the... The lower part of this terrain up uh-huh. here, that is where Joe Sargent is. That's where his compound is. So that's higher elevation. Yeah. They're like kind of look, they've got like the bird's eye view of the compound. Yeah. He's perched up on this, okay. looking down at compound X. Hmm. Now, the mission here to take over this compound is for them to split up into two teams an Alpha team and a Bravo team. Alpha team is here. They're going to come in, they're going to breach the door, and Bravo team is going so their compounds up here they're going to drive their trucks up here and provide support because for the last few months they've been getting shot at everyone's been getting shot at from up here in the mountains right up here okay so which is way which is even higher up than joe Sargent's co- okay compound. so alpha team so so alpha team is is on the same side of the compound during the mission. Just during the mission, the yeah. Room. Okay. Everyone's living here yeah, in right. this compound here. And then the mission starts at 4 a.m. sometime in September. And that's when you split up into two, two teams. And this is how it, it usually goes to you have a, an like a breaching team and then you have a support team because you, we don't want these guys to wake up who are in the mountains and start shooting all our guys down here. So if everyone just went down here, we would be, you know, we would have no support. Mm-hmm. These guys, which was Joe Sargent, he could actually hold these guys off the Taliban up in the mountains. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, So you get it? Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's kind of helpful visual. Yes. Yes. Alpha team would 100% have to kill a lot of people in that compound Mm -hmm. since most of them are Taliban. Right. They would kick the door down and basically start shooting any imminent threats. Did did they like, so they were, how did they get across the river? Did they just swim across in the middle of the night? Yeah, that's a good question. So this is actually not deep enough to swim so you can actually walk across this oh, wow. okay. yeah oh, okay so, so you th- could drive across it too yeah you could drive across it but they didn't because the sound this was 
Right. Got four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. We're trying to be under, they, they were on night vision goggles and everything like that. But around here, and this is going to be important too, to the story, you can actually cross this whole river. There's, it's not deep enough to swim. Mm. And the deepest part probably goes up to your chest, but most of it just stays around your ankles. Joe Sargent's team has two gun trucks. They perch them up on the, the hill of this mountain to overlook the alpha team infiltration. These are the gun trucks that they were driving. These are called uh, RG33s. You can't see it, but in the bottom, the the chassis is cylindrical because when an IED explodes, they they almost channel the blast out hmm. this way. That's why it's kind of like a cylindrical bottom. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so these are better than Humvees. If you get hit with an IED and a Humvee, you're basically dead. But these are raised up a little bit, so if you run over an IED, it you know, probably won't kill you right away unless it's a huge bomb. Now, this is pretty bulletproof, but to a, to a certain extent, if you start getting shot up a lot, you know, it, it's just going to be like Swiss cheese, plus the tires and everything else. As you see here, and this is going to be important. There's a 50 cal machine gun perched mounted at the very top. This is controlled inside. And so no one's outside controlling the gun. Yeah, no one. Well, you can get up there if you want. If you need to. If you need what? That's what this is called, a chicken plate. Okay. Right here. This Chicken um, plate. This thing right here. That's where the barrel of the gun sits? Yeah, it sits out here. And I don't think it's mounted on this one. This is just a random one. Yep. But so that is what's going on. And this gun, at least in Joe Sargent's case, was controlled inside. So is everyone on the same page? Sorry, this is... It's honestly a little hard for me to tell, too, because, you know, I was there. Right. Well, I mean, it's also like I appreciate all of the background because as and I think I can speak for a lot of people, like as just a regular citizen who's not familiar with military operations, like you hear about the war, but we don't really know what goes on over there in all these terms. And like even thinking about the mission, like how long it takes to prep for one and um, you know, how, like, how do you practice a mission? How do you plan for everything that can go wrong? So it's I, I appreciate knowing. Now, go back to here right quick. So this is 4 a.m. The mission. Everyone leaves the compound. These two trucks, which are here on the map that I showed you, are going to be up here to provide support. They have direct line of sight for the Americans, the Alpha team right here. They are going to infiltrate Compound X. Now, the infiltration process is pretty simple. You kick the door down. And that is, and this is pretty much standard how these missions work. You always have a support team and then you, who is overseeing everything. That's, that's how they're usually set up. Unless you're like Delta Force or something, you just go in there and kill, you know. In Joe Sargent's truck, which was the, the one to the left, the first one, there were three people. There was him, Joe Sargent, a JTAC, also known as a combat controller. These guys are the most shot people in the war. Okay. Because they have to have a complete view of everything going on in the war zone so they can direct the air support. The air support needs to know what's going on. They can't just, when when they're flying in, they need the direction of a man who can only, who can only give them that direction if he's outside in the rain of bullets. Is air support common for these types of missions or was this because this was like such a big one? You know, like you were, like you said, you were kind of connecting the, the Joe Sargent was connecting the two parts of the. Joe Sargent was special operations and all of these people were of some sort of service, whether it's Navy, Air Force, 
special forces, whatever. So it was like it a was, joint force. It was just a mixed match of the of the most qualified people for this job. So saying that, air support by itself isn't always granted. You have to ask for it. Mm. Even if you're getting mowed down, you're dying, people are getting shot, it may not get approved. Hmm. So for a special operation soldier like this, they entrust these men to get out of tough situations themselves. Got it. Because they're like the creme de la creme. Yeah, because think about it. I mean, there's missions going on all across Constantly, all this the country. country. Yeah. So air support may not be available. Got it. Okay. And plus, it comes from a central location, usually in Bagram, which is the big base. And that air support has to take, like the helicopters take, I think it was like seven minutes to get to where we were. And that's a long time yeah. if you're getting shot at, mm-hmm. you know. So it takes well, a long time. Plus you have to like warm them up and everything too, right? And then you have to take into consideration the amount of money that's getting poured into it for fuel and like the lives of the people that are in the helicopters. How and risky is it for them to go? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I guess when, when we first started talking like, oh, air support, like you would just have people like flying all over anyway, like just checking things out. But that makes sense now. But that- it has to be quiet. What's even more annoying about this war when, and I've been in situations where this has happened so many times. It is so frustrating. You are desperate for air support, but it gets denied because somewhere up in the stratosphere, there's a drone Mm. that is from the CIA or whatever, who is doing like surveillance that you can't, no one can see. It's just so far up there. Mm. So they deny it until the drone passes. And it's just so effing frustrating. And that happens so many damn times. Well, I can't even imagine now where the use of drones has like multiplied by whoever knows what number mm-hmm. yeah i mean think about you remember the guy um the guy with one leg the taliban guy that they uh the last one that they i think it was uh delta force went in and killed anyway they they were spying on this guy for two years and, and no one knew it because this drone was so far up in the sky but they could see everything they could mm-hmm. see through the house like uh infrared whatever. yeah yeah because yeah, he was just in this one they called him like the walking man or something he was in the top of this little house this compound and he would just pay back and forth hmm. so and they saw him for about it was i would say it was about a year because the if and i'm this may be a little off but from what i read the delta force in fort bragg they were the ones that killed this guy they went in but they actually built a mock-up compound exactly to scale of the one that they infiltrated and this was in pakistan wow, wow. yeah it's pretty crazy so they practice over and over over and over over and over day day in day out for however many months so it went so when they got there, it was just like they killed this guy before anyone even knew they were there. Wow. And it was it was so perfected. Like the the Rangers had came and I believe and they you know pulled up just in time and the Delta Force like repelled from the freaking helicopter and just ran in there and pop, 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 you know, and just were out, man. Crazy. Yeah. So some of those guys are nuts. Anyway, sorry. No, 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 it's good. All right. So at this point, they're all using night vision. There's no lights on these trucks or anything. And and the mission is going pretty successfully so far. Now, Joe Sargent's job was to sit by the gunner. So there were three people in his truck. There was a the combat controller who has all the wires and radios and he directs the planes where to go. There was a gunner, which sat to the left of Joe Sargent, and then him, and his and his job was to look at this high-definition, really expensive camera called the FLIR system, where it could see body heat, it could see all kinds of stuff. 
and it could zoom into perfect detail. So his job was to look at where the the where they're going to get shot at if they get shot at and keep an eye on Alpha Team. So if they get shot at like they have been for months, he can use his camera to to see exactly who is shooting. Yeah, find out where it's coming yeah, from. Yeah, because what you want to do on a 50 cal is just kind of shoot in that general direction. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that was his job. The other truck, there were two people in that truck. There was a special add-in, which was some officer type. And that's why this mission was sort of political, as you'll see. And then there was a gunner. So he was telling me that... It was eerily quiet, 4 a.m., and and it, it always is eerily quiet in the desert. There's no insects making noises and stuff like that. But he just, he just had this weird feeling that something wasn't right. He says he remembers how dark and quiet it was and that they were using night vision to navigate. And Joe Sargent was actually looking at Alpha Team. They were in a single file line. And so they Alpha were, Team was behind or in front? No, Alpha Team oh, was across the, Alpha Alpha the river. I always got yeah. confused about the other Alpha you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So Alpha Team was actually progressing towards the front door of this compound X. Okay, got it. And they were in a single file line and everything was going great. No one was awake. No one was shooting. The Alpha Team would kick down the door and, you know, take care of business and everybody, everybody would be home by lunch, right? Leading the way was the point man, a seasoned special forces gun sergeant renowned for his expertise in breaching doors. To my relief, the operation was unfolding smoother than I dared to hope. This is where it ramps up pretty quickly for Joe Sargent. The point man, which was the the breach guy on Alpha Team, his job is to kick the door down. He kicks the door down. He stands out the way. The other special forces guys go in there and pop, 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 shoot everyone. This guy kicks the door. There's a loud explosion. It's it's tremendous. And IEDs are pretty pretty loud and frightening in themselves. But this is at 4 a.m. There's no sound. I mean, this village doesn't have electricity. Right. There's nothing. And all of a sudden, this deafening explosion just and it rocked his truck. It rocked both the trucks and they were a hundred yards away. Wow. It was an enormous explosion and he knew exactly what it was. The doorman, the guy that kicked in the door had hit a booby trap, IED, pressure plate that was attached to the door or just like they were thinking could happen. Joe was there for four months and these guys were mining up this entire village waiting on him. Like this mission was a failure to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So it just so happens that the first door kicked open was mined with explosives and it, it blew, blew this point man up. Mm. The explosion he was telling me was tremendous. And obviously it wakes everyone up, including the people that, you know, has been shooting you for the last four months. Right. The deafening explosion reverberated through the air. Chaos ensued as the realization set in. The soldier who had boldly kicked open the door had triggered a deadly booby trap rigged with explosives. The force of the blast ripped through his legs and rippled through the surroundings, shaking the very foundation of our mission. At this point, Joe is stunned. He knows that the point man just got blown up. The mission is now changed. They're obviously not going to infiltrate this compound. Doing so would be suicide. Yeah. And not only that, you have a soldier who has kicked open this door. If you can't reattach his legs, you have to at least tourniquet them. Mm-hmm. 
and stop the the blood flow. So, but he tells me that there was a few seconds that it actually returned back to the normal state of being quiet, kind of like the eye before the storm, like a big hurricane comes through, demolishes everything, but then you go back and it's just eerily quiet and peaceful, sort of like that. Hmm. But it only lasted a few seconds. He was telling me you could actually hear some of the rocks as they the the house, the mud house, when it blew up the front, some of the rocks still making a permanent home for themselves. Oh, you know, and he could hear that. But then seconds later, he could he could hear something else. Yet amidst the aftermath, a piercing wail through the air, cutting through the eerie silence. It was the agonized screams of the man who just lost his legs. Oh, shit. A stark reminder of the brutal consequences of war. Oh, man. So at this point, the mission is now changed and Joe Sargent and the rest of the team has to adapt. So it turned from uh, like the mission, the initial cause of the mission to going in to recover the team that had just gone through this traumatic event. Yep. Is that right? The new mission? Like not to recover it to. What, what, no, like, it's like obviously the cot like to go in. Like, you had the, the purpose of the mission. They had the purpose of the mission. And now they have to like instead of like going through with the mission because it's like, oh, shit, this is not going to work. It's like, OK, how do we get our guys out of there type of thing? Right. Exactly. Okay. So. Joe Sargent couldn't get his guys out of there, but they could stay there where they are and provide support. This is Compound X. The Americans go kick down the door. It blows up. Right now they're going to evacuate and get this guy to safety, which takes a long time. It's not seven minutes, you said. Well, at least. Yeah, that's for the helicopter. But think about it. It takes time because they can't just run over there to wherever they're safe. They're getting shot at now. But they're getting shot at. And plus, they have to tend to this guy's wound Mm -hmm. the first thing. Yeah. So and that's what a combat medic does. Mm -hmm. They they're right there in the bullets, in the in the hellfire, patching up someone because if you try to carry him or something, he's dead. Yeah. You got to stop that blood flow. Right. So they stay here by the compound for however long it takes to patch this guy up to tourniquet his leg. Mm-hmm. And Joe Sargent was telling me he was hearing that on the radio. You know, he could hear the screaming. He could hear the combat medic. They have some very strong shit mm-hmm. that just puts you out. Yeah. Like they're basically anesthesiologists at that point. So is they, there. They put some enough freaking volume or whatever in you. Morphine. Morphine. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Morphine. That's what I meant. They put enough morphine in you where you just kind of just. Yeah. You know. is, so is there ideally a combat medic on every single one of these missions in yeah. case it goes uh-huh. bad. But he, what happens if the medic is the one that gets hurt? Well, so, all right, most of these... That's a good question. Well, yeah, that's a good question. So Joe Joe was telling me that on this mission, there were special forces soldiers and they, they all know each other's job. Got it. So the, the medic would never be the point man, number one, right. because of this. But They would be like probably like yeah. towards the back. Yeah, if he got shot, then the Bravo or whoever so they knows all... enough to... Okay. To grab in his medic bag and he knows exactly where that morphine is. He knows exactly where that morphine is and he knows to stick him with it mm-hmm. and he knows how to put a tourniquet on. Like everyone that goes over there knows how to put a tourniquet on. Okay. I still got a bunch of tourniquets actually. I know how to, I knew at one point how to put a tourniquet on when I was going through athletic training school, but don't ask I me would how know to do how it to, now. I mean, I guess like in, in practice you would in th- or Use no, anything in theory. Can. Yeah. Like I, but I would never know how to do it with like a kit or anything. Like yeah. That. So 
loud explosion, quiet, and then the screaming of a man who just lost his legs. I can't even imagine that, especially if it's like all mic'd into you. So Joe, yeah. So if you look, you're hearing everything that's going on in the uh, with the other unit, you know. Yeah. But it's not like you're playing Call of Duty. Like this is real life. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. So this is Joe Sargent's truck. This is how far he was from the explosion here. Mm -hmm. All right. His job now across the river is to stay here and basically be a a shooting bag because this is where they've been getting shot at. This is where the majority of the Taliban is. Also in the compound. But from both. So being potential to be shot at from both sides. Exactly. So this would have alerted everyone in the valley because there's no sound going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The the whole river is fucking awake at this point. Oh, yeah. Everyone's awake. And now Joe Sargent is is his mission is going to start, which is basically him getting shot at. And the trucks are stuck out there on this elevated platform. They can't go anywhere until Alpha Team is fully extracted and safe, mm-hmm. which could take a long time. We're talking about 20 minutes. So he is out there in these gun trucks now as a sitting duck, as the target practice. And he is not only ensuring that no one comes back up on Alpha Team, but he's also trying to simultaneously shoot the people who's shooting at him in the mountains. It's it's a very chaotic situation. I'm not going to get to this part in it because this is only going to be about what it's like to kill someone. But Joe is telling me that when they first went out there, they didn't know this at the time, but the trail that they went on actually collapsed. So they were actually stuck out there and they had to make a new trail on the mountain with that big truck I showed you. And a lot of these trucks flip over. And if that thing was a flip down the mountain, they were all dead. Personally, I had a truck flip over on me. I wasn't, we were in this truck. We were driving under night vision goggles. I don't know. I can't even remember what mission we were on. And this driver had got up on a little rock and it tilted the truck so much where it flipped over. And we're on a mountain and it started rolling down the hill and it would have went all the way down the mountain. But the 50 cal machine gun got stuck in between two boulders. That's the only thing that saved us. But I remember being flipped over the truck and we had we had thousands and thousands of pounds of ammo in that truck. If I wasn't wearing a body vest, a body armor, I would have been crushed. But I remember that those four or 500, 600,000 pounds of ammo cans resting on my chest as this gun truck is flipped over and they had to pull me out because I was at the very bottom under all this ammo. If I wasn't wearing the, the, the chest protector, I would have been dead. And no, no one died, only just broken ribs and some other thing. I don't, no one died in it. And there was, I think there was like five of us. Like I said, I don't even know the guys who were in there. It was just my job. They would throw me with a mix of people and I would, I would be with them for one mission and then, you know, whatever. Move on to the next one. Yeah. Shit. So Alpha, so Bravo team's new mission is simple. Alpha team's not going to infiltrate compact compound X. That's over. All right. That pipe dream is, that pipe dream is over. They have to be sitting ducks and provide some support for them to evacuate and only then can they leave mm-hmm. and this could take about 20 minutes which doesn't sound like a long time but when you're in the moment and there's people firing at you from everywhere it's that is a, a long, long time. time yeah all right so joe Sargent is now getting shot at from every direction him and his counterpart the other truck but luckily they have a 50 cal machine gun which is this thing wow. so the the purpose of this thing look at those look at those bullets i know right 
you have don't you have like a 50 cal pen or it's maybe not 50 cal but it's like a bullet pen yeah is it the size of a 50 cal or smaller yeah, it's a 50 cal shell it's is the it size in of, here i don't know what happened to it man. i thought you had it on your shelf did i who knows? I don't know. I thought you had it on your shelf. Maybe he did for a while. I don't know what happened. But it was, to it. it's a yeah. It's a it's thing. a large. Yeah, I couldn't imagine like that penetrating. <laughs> so oh <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what not, she said. <laughs> Dude, they sh- That's not what I meant. I meant like coming I into. I know, but you yeah, had to use the into. word penetrate. I I'm they sorry. Sh- and something large penetrating you. An explode. Anyway. It doesn't. All right. So like, so the it 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 goes into the. guy you can't make it better. But no. all right. So like, like the bullets. And I think I've asked this question before. Like, it has explosives in it, right? Gunpowder, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like when it when it it goes into the thing that it was supposed to go into, it does it expand or is it just like mix the hole that it was like? I don't. I don't know. Never mind. Just move does on. it cause an explosion or is it just a very large hole? I think is what she's asking. Yeah, they don't even put holes in someone; they just eliminate parts from them. They're real big. Like fifty cal machine gun is for shooting down airplanes and stuff. Oh yeah, well, I guess because it's a large projectile. Not necessarily for shooting people. They're pretty inaccurate as far as grouping. Or if you shoot like a an M4, you can group it pretty accurately. So what you, is an M4? you can you can shoot like the same like the ones that all the school shooters use. <laughs> Great, <laughs> oh, no, irre- no. irrelevant, Thanks. irrelevant. No, no, no one in this room has to worry about that. An AR-15 is the same. Okay. Yeah, so you can group it. You can shoot like the same spot multiple times if okay you 50 cal you can't do that you just shoot a general direction and it kind of goes where it, it goes. yeah it goes where it goes but if it hits someone it'll destroy them oh but it's it's great for like shooting trucks and stuff oh. blowing up trucks it's okay a, meant for like large targets exactly or- but the most important thing is and I, I i can attest to this too i didn't realize this until i got there the 50 cal is good for something other than killing people you want to take a guess what that is a dildo <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but I think that's where he was going with it. That's where I thought it's not going with that. That's where I thought that's where he was going. I really thought that's where you're going. No, it is a good idea. There's a bun dildo. Why can't there be like a 50 cal dildo for uh, army wives and stuff? Oh, not the right size. Yeah, but you can still make it shaped like it. You know, I mean, like they do have the bullet thing. I think we should just Jen's been freaking conversation. Jen's been right here looking at that shit. Have not been looking at that shit, but I am drunk. So there's that. All right. So the good thing about the 50 cal, other than shooting people or using it for vaginal pleasure, is it. it I, I hope we cut that from like the, the real the episode. real episode. I mean, <laughs> it's on the Internet forever. So everyone's going to hate me, but that's OK. And I'm not trying. I, I, you know, it's just something that you know come, what we are, who we are. I don't have a filter. I actually do have a filter, but sometimes it doesn't work. This isn't about me. This is about Joe Chodron. Let's go. The great thing about a 50 cal other than doing that is it's a deterrent. This thing is loud. This thing is massive. This thing commands attention. When you shoot a 50 cal, even in the general direction of someone shooting you, you can pretty much be assured that that person will no longer be shooting at you while you are shooting this 50 cal. That person isn't hiding. It is scary as hell to get shot at with a 50 caliber round. Mm. It is it is extremely loud and you, you don't just you don't come out of your little hole in the mountain and start shooting when that thing is rocking. So the most important thing Joe Sargent and his Bravo team can do at this point is keep those 250 cal machine guns rocking the whole time. Even if there's not a 
clear target in sight. You're getting shot at from the mountains, shoot at the mountains. It doesn't matter where. If you're shooting, they are not shooting. That is the primary thing right there. I'm telling you, no one shoots if that 50 cal is rocking. 100%. Well, that makes sense. It's just too, it's, I mean, getting shot at with like an AR-15 or like even a little bigger round, like a 7.62 round, which is a little bigger. Like that's scary, right? You know, it pops and whizzes by your- There's a 62 round? No, 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 never mind. To get shot at with a smaller caliber is kind of scary. Like it pops by your ears, it breaks the sound barrier and stuff like that. But getting shot at with a 50 cal round, it is enough to give you a, a heart attack right there. It is just, it's, it's too much. And you don't shoot back when someone's shooting at that. What is the largest, like, other than, I mean, I'm not bullet? talking about a cannon. Yeah, like a bullet. Like, I'm not talking about a missile. Like, is the 50 cal the biggest, like, like well, trigger Well, how bullet? big, how big do you need, Jen? Just answer the question. <laughs> Uh, so at this time, Joe Sargent, his job is to look through this little monitor and find out who's shooting at them and then tell the gunner, hey, this guy is shooting, shoot in this direction because the gunner can't actually see anyone through his sights, right? That's Joe Sargent's job with this high powered camera. Okay, you understand? So that's his job. Got it. All right, moving on. He tells me he couldn't actually see any enemies shooting at him. They just started shooting at the, the mountains. But the most important part, like I said, is keeping the 50 cows running the the entire time. Joe tells me he was getting rocked pretty bad. The, I mean, think about it. You have, I mean, you remember the truck I showed you? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is in the middle of the desert and about 50 yards away are people shooting at you. Mm. It'd be hard to miss that truck. Yeah. To shoot at it. That is a big fucking truck to not hit. Now, <laughs> I had to be a really crappy shooter not to hit that truck. Are those windows? I mean, yeah. obviously, I'm bulletproof glass. Yeah, bulletproof They're bullet- glass. Okay, so I was going to ask if they're reinforced with any, like, is it double pane bulletproof, bulletproof glass? Or like, how do you? I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know, it's bulletproof glass, but okay, up sorry. to a certain point. I'm asking too many specific questions. No, up to a certain certain point. I think this one is bulletproof is broken. So it kind of looks like right here. Yeah, it looks like it's been shot at. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, well, so, for everything, it can be bulletproof to an extent, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it only takes, you know, you can't just sit there and get Swiss cheesed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he was getting rocked pretty bad. And then the other truck, as long as they kept those 250 cal machine guns going, that's all that matters. They, were, they would be, the shooting would be minimal. Around that time, he tells me that the second truck, the 50 cal stopped shooting. And there were two people in that truck. So the gunner gets on the radio because he actually maintains those two guns. And the first thing he says, because you can you can hear it in the other truck, too. Mm-hmm. Like it stopped shooting and their shooting has picked up now that that stopped shooting. So the gunner gets on. What's going on? Why is this gun not rocking? What is going on? And he knew that it wasn't a mechanical thing because he's a perfectionist and he made sure that gun was was good to go. Right. What had happened was the gunner of that truck, who was a highly trained special forces operator who has been in for nearly 20 years, had frozen in fear and shock. He just stopped shooting. So you have this butterfly triggers where you shoot with the gun. Yeah. He just stopped shooting. It's not mechanical. There's nothing wrong with the gun. He just couldn't shoot anymore. Right. For whatever reason. And that's just fear and just 
It, it overcame adrenaline, him. Yeah. yeah, adrenaline. It was just too much. It just shut his brain down and he was just frozen. And that is a bad thing because then the enemy is going to shoot more. You know what I'm saying? So this is not a good thing. As we sat in the truck, two of our comrades positioned beside us. We never anticipated the freeze up that overcame the man. It was an unexpected turn of events. Just another element that went awry. Call it Murphy's Law in action. Murphy's Law. So Murphy's Law is like anything that could go wrong will go wrong. Which is why one of the reasons why I named my dog that actually because that happens to me all the time. Like yesterday I was at the soccer game and of course like it literally started pouring. Like my shoes are still wet. Like I was outside in the rain. But it was a state championship. I couldn't go home. Like we won. So congrats to our soccer team for that. Also, I stepped in gum. Like all this shit happens to me. You can't make this shit up. Like you really can't. I'm sorry. I'm taking away from Joe Sargent's story. But like that's why one of the reasons why I named Murphy. Murphy. Quote, the amount of bullets raining down on us was inconceivable. We were sitting ducks, but our orders were simple. Wait till Alpha Team is safely extracted. Joe says things got even worse after that when one of his fears came true, which, you know, they had the 50 cal rocking. One of them is now stopped. The Taliban shooting at them pulls out one of these. That's a large gun. It's a very large gun. Is that also 50 cal? It is bigger than a 50 cal round. Oh, really? It's called a- Well, there you go. 50 cal is not the biggest. Yeah, so that answers my question. This is why I hate Russians, because (laughs) they left- Well, you know, the whole Ukraine thing. I heard the war is ending soon and over there. That's good. (sighs) Says who? Putin? I don't know. Some article the on some says website. the Russian Times. And that's what they call propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? It's ending soon. <laughs> I saw it on an article uh, that I was like on oh. TikTok. No, just no, kidding. it wasn't on TikTok. It was um on my. We need to be eating these peaches because I don't think we can we can. Well, give me some then. Keep the peaches once they're past the liquor point, you Uh, know? Yeah, this one's already turning brown. The alcohol is the preservative. We got to eat the peaches. Most of the alcohol is in the peaches. Most of the alcohol is inside of me. So So grab there's the fork right there. Yeah, that and that 50 cows inside of you, apparently. We know you've been looking oh, at dildos, Jen. This is magnetic. That's a lie. You no, it's look not at- a lie because you said the bullet. How would you know that that's a term for a dildo? How would you know that that's a term for a dildo? Because I used to sell those fucking things. <laughs> <laughs> you can hor- look at my search history if you want. I mean, so horny housewives like yourself. Horny housewives. That horny reminds me of Billy Madison <laughs> where he goes, he's like, oh, it's Noonie Magazine Day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At this point, Joe Sargent hears... A huge round, a series of rounds emanating down on his truck. When the Soviets tried to invade Afghanistan, they left all of their weapons over there, including this one, the Dishka. Malibu? I'm good right now with my beer. Which is which the Taliban recovered and they would actually push around in a wheelbarrow. (laughs) (laughs) But it was highly effective. They can move it around because it was in a wheelbarrow. It's the same concept as the 50 cal I was telling you about. When that shooting at us, we cower, right? The same shit. In Joe Sargent's truck was this JTAC I was telling you about. This man, he didn't know what service this guy was. He was an older guy, bald head. And this guy has antennas going all the way out of his body. He is the guy that commands all the airplanes where to, you know, where the threat's coming from. Right. But to do that, he has to actually see the entire war zone, like with his eyes. 
And to do that, he's got to be outside of the truck. Oh, shit. So this guy who, for obvious reasons, his profession is the, the most shot person in war, gets out of the truck. So he opens the door, the back door. Which is bad for the two of us inside because now the bullets can easily come into the inside of the door. But since he's out there, he's got to keep the door open. So he is out there perched on the top of this gun truck trying to find out where people are shooting at us from. And not only that, but he's also calling in the helicopter for the medevac for Alpha Team. So he's trying to spot exactly where they can land, stuff like that, so they don't hit in a in a hot zone, a bad uh, a nest of Taliban. So he is doing that. He's telling the helicopter, the one helicopter, not there for us, there for the extraction of this blown up man. He's telling him where to land. But to do that, he is outside, and now the bullets are actually coming into the truck. Because they're ricocheting out the door. So, like, for for Joe, I mean, how is he, hand, like, I mean, that has to be the, a moment of pure terror for him in his state. Like, the, it's it's gone from bad to worse to now, like, the door is open and now you're com- he's completely exposed. Mm, yeah. The air crackled with the sound of bullets ricocheting off the steel door their lethal trajectory mere inches away from my head. Every ping felt was more nerve-wracking than the last. I fought to maintain a facade of composure, attempting to ignore my own impending doom. He remained fixated on his screen. His eyes were scanning so focused and trying not to focus on the fact that rounds were now coming into the truck. So focused on the screen, trying to find any of the hidden assailants that were shooting at him. I can't even comprehend or compare any experience of what I've had to this. It's 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 bad. Like, I just I mean, I know that people say thank you for your service. But like when people say, I feel like we've as a country been conditioned to say that. I don't think that when people say thank you for your service, actually realize what these people have been through and have actually think, put themselves on the line. And and what I do you would, mean these people? The other, I mean, the, <laughs> he's, she's being funny. I like, I, I actually, it's interesting that you say that too, Jen, because I think everyone's service experience can be very, very different. Right. And that's something that I learned from my relationship with John is mm-hmm. like, I know John had a very, very, very different experience than say my brother-in-law mm-hmm. who's an active duty pilot in the Navy. Right. Like there is a, a, great distance between him and the combat Mm -hmm. and it's different you know like not to say one's better or worse but like the experiences are different and you can't can't expect everyone to be the same yeah there was somebody who rescued um in the same litter as hubble and i remember we had like a meetup when they were all puppies Mm -hmm. and he was also in the service and i think he was in dubai it was where he was stationed and he was like oh i loved it like this was the coolest thing you know man i like i got to travel a lot got to experience a lot and i mean you couldn't have expressed a more different experience and i'm glad that he had a positive like don't get me wrong right um i'm glad that the experience was positive but you almost like couldn't pick a more different one from from john you know what they promised me what they promised me i would have this cush job in an in an embassy in colombia they sent me to six months of spanish yeah i remember saying you as soon as i got out of spanish school they sent me to afghanistan Mm. I, wow. I, you know, it almost encourages me. Probably should me. have paid more attention in Spanish school. <laughs> Ablas, Ablas Espanol. <laughs> well, this guy is pretty much where he started from. <laughs> 
I, you know, Hola. I wonder if my dad would be like willing to tell a story about, I mean, he tells stories about like his, his army buddies all the time, but like, I feel like I want to know what he went through in Vietnam because he ever talked about it. I mean, he, he has, he has, and we've watched Vietnam, but I think like when he was talking about it, when I was younger, it was it wasn't really registering what it means to be over there. Joe Sargent is getting shot at. There's only one gun working. And then he sees something. He sees a man coming from the village. So this is the man. And I, I didn't have a better emoji. But there was a man that left the village and he is trying to cross the river. Can I ask, where is Alpha Team at this point? They're they're by the helicopter. They haven't extracted yet. Okay. Okay, but they're going to the helicopter. Yeah. So they're and right the here. fire is where the guy is with his legs or no no more. Jen, yeah we just they just that's left them the co- there. that's the compound they're bringing everybody to the helicopter site joe Sargent sees a man running across the the river now the river isn't deep so the man is only up to his ankles right but he told me that this man was wearing a black turban black garb which is like a black robe black shoes and he's running all right across the river across towards- the Bravo team. Not directly towards Bravo team, but across the river. So like he knew probably that there was going to be support across the river or was he just running to run? The the man came from the compound. He is a a, Afghani. Just a villager. He's not. I don't know. We don't know. Joe Sargent doesn't know yet. Okay. All right. At this point, and I'm going to be like purposely opaque with this, but this was a very political mission. The man in the other truck, the reason he didn't take over the machine gun is because he was on the the radio with some very high up people. Got it. Generals or maybe even the Pentagon or some, someone like that. This was a very political mission. That's all I can tell you. That's the reason that he didn't get on the the uh, the 50 cal. He himself was an add in and he was a very high ranking man. Mm. The reason I tell you that is because now Joe Sargent is seeing this man run across this river. And when he says that, the add-in man gets on the radio and says, quote, don't shoot anybody unless you see a weapon. Mm, So so at that point, Joe knows that he that man is on the phone, on the radio with some very high people, some very political people. And he knows that this is a mission that has has gone wrong so far, but has to be salvaged. And we have to follow the rules of engagement. Mm. Because at that point, the gunner would have just shot this man and been over with it. Right. But now there's rules of engagement that are strictly enforced, which is crazy because Joe Sargent is out there getting overrun at this point, thinking he's about to die. Everyone's about to die. And this man cares more about the rules of engagement, which the Taliban doesn't even would never follow anyway. They'll shoot medics. Like, you're not supposed to shoot a combat medic. Mm-hmm. They don't shoot at you, but the Taliban will shoot them. The Taliban will shoot combat cameramen who don't have, aren't shooting at you. They're just taking pictures. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll shoot Like, anyone. they don't care. They'll shoot women, children. Mm. I mean, anybody. Well, I mean, they strap bombs to children and women, so that's sure. a problem, too. But. Yeah. Luckily, that's never happened to me. So, but over the radio, he hears this, don't shoot anyone unless you see a weapon. It felt surreal, almost absurd. We were in the midst of a life or death 
situation, our lives hanging by a thread, and yet his focus seemed misplaced, fixated on bureaucratic protocols. Now, the gunner sitting beside Joe Sargent puts his sight on this man, but he can't shoot yet because it's up to Joe Sargent to tell him whether or not this man has a weapon. So at this point, both 50 cals are now, they're not shooting. There's no weapons shooting from the Americans, but they're getting shot at a lot because the gunner is waiting on Joe Sargent to confirm if this man needs to be shot or not because the gunner can't see and Joe Sargent is sitting there with a high definition zoomed in camera with this guy, the running man as we'll call him, on the screen. So Joe Sargent, he has to see if this guy has a weapon. Now he's got a black robe on and the weapon could be tucked in anywhere. Joe Sargent is fixated on finding something because he knows that he has to make a decision extremely quickly because this man is also running in their general direction. Mm -hmm. Also, that gun needs to be used to shoot the other people shooting at them. Right. And right now it is not shooting anyone because his sights are on this man. Hey, the gunner called out to me. His sights fixed on the man in question. I had a clear view of the running man displayed on my monitor right in front of me. He was dressed in all black, a black turban, black robe, black shoes. I couldn't quite determine his age, but there were a few gray patches in his beard. It's common for men in this region to appear older due to inadequate protection from the scorching sun. Rounds are coming into the truck. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Joe, you need to make a decision. You need to get this gun rocking. Either say yes, this guy would be done or no, and the gun will be shooting other people. Either way, the gun has got to get back online because mm-hmm. at this point it is the bullets are overwhelming. Yeah, because the gunner in the other truck is still in a state of shock. Yes. Oh. So Joe is now desperate at this point, staring at the monitor, trying to just begging to see anything, anything small, just a little, the handle, the strap of a, of an AK or something, Mm -hmm. anything, even like a bulge that looks like maybe a grenade, a grenade pin, something. I don't know. Time seemed to crawl as the seconds ticked away and the relentless gunfire continued to rain down upon us. I was desperate to catch even the slightest glimpse of a weapon, whether it was a gun a grenade, or even a spent bullet casing. Anything I could provide some clarity in this chaotic situation. I silently pleaded with a higher power, hoping for a sign, just show me something, I prayed. Mm. Nothing else matters. He has to make a decision because he is putting everyone's life in danger if he cannot say yes or no. It is all on him right now. These guns are not operating and he has to make a decision. He doesn't have minutes to decide. It's now, now, now. He can hear the gunner start to raise his voice, concerned that Joe Sargent was also frozen too. But Joe tells me he was just simply at that time deciding. And then it hit me. The weight of responsibility fell squarely on my shoulders. The fate of this running man rested in my hands. A simple choice of yes or no would determine whether he lived or died. It was a matter of just two letters for life, three letters for death. It was a chilling realization that I held such power over another human being. Mm. He goes through these emotions. He was telling me, is this man armed? Is this man a threat? Is this man good? Is this guy evil? Who is this guy? This running man. He grapples with this uncertainty. This paradox he told me was, quote, maddening. And then Joe finally realized something. Quote, in this moment, I became the arbiter of his destiny. 
I was thrust into the role of God, an Allah, a savior, and an executioner all at once. And then Joe tells me that he finally found something that he's been searching for since the day he initially enlisted in the army. It was a craving I had harbored deep within since the day I enlisted. The chaos of battle had handed me the reins, and now I held the power to shape a life or seal a fate. It doesn't matter whether this guy has a gun or not at this point. That's not what the concern is. And he realizes that. He was telling me that all the pain and suffering that he's seen and everything that was weighing on him also weighed in on his decisions to the final call. In mere seconds, there was a clash of negative and positive thoughts waging their own private war within my mind. He became the embodiment of everything that had gone wrong in the world. The suffering, the poverty, the starvation, hatred, and pain that plagued humanity. I laid this blame at his feet. It was he who was solely responsible. It it was he who was the reason behind the atrocities of 9-11, the cause of the unending anguish and despair. Hey, the gunner's urgent voice snapped me back to reality. Does this man have a weapon? Yes. So what do you think about that? (laughs) I think I probably would have made the same call. I mean, how can you? I don't know. Like, you can't be sure. Even you can't be sure. Like, how can you put yourself in someone's that? You can't put yourself in that position. But if someone's running towards, you, you know, if someone's running towards me and you are in this situation... I know personally, I'm like, I, I, I probably would have been the gunner in the other truck, probably, and froze. That probably would have been my response to the situation, honestly. Um, it, but in terms of, like, what was the right call and all of the context of the situation, Joe, I would have done the same thing, man. And, like, all of this, like, hearing just this whole entire situation and this entire battle that's weighing on Joe in this situation, like... Like hearing it now, like we took what, like five minutes reading this out, but this had to be a split decision. Like, like it does, it probably didn't take five minutes in between hearing the, uh, the, the, the gunner say, Hey, like what's going on? Like, like you have to make this decision like now because you don't know what's going on. You have no idea. Like you don't know. And like, like it took longer for us to read through this and, and hear Joe's thought process played out years after the fact, but in a, in a, in the moment, like, how can you, you, I mean, we weren't there to be able to make a decision that quickly in itself is actually very impressive. Mm -hmm. And it's what Joe was trained to do. Mm-hmm. All right. So Joe was detached at that moment, looking through the monitor. He It was almost like a video game. This man was front and center. And perhaps he was telling me that he initially expected it to look like a Call of Duty video game because the running man was right there in front of him. But it was nothing like that. At this point during the interview, Joe goes silent. I actually thought I, I had lost the connection with him. But he was just reminiscing. And this is his reply when he came back. It's not like in the movies or games. It's quicker, less heroic somehow. 
Seeing someone die, I mean, the first bullet found its mark, tearing through his leg with devastating force. I wish I could paint a vivid, gory picture like a sensational true crime story, but that would be a disservice to the truth. The round ripped through his flesh, severing his leg from its joints and rending the delicate web of connected tissue. It happened so abruptly, almost like a magician's trick. His leg was there one moment and then the next, it simply wasn't. He tells me that this is the first time that he's ever seen anything like this and he couldn't look away. He says his eyes were almost being forced to stare at the carnage that he himself had created. He was the decider of this man's fate and he must continue looking at what his decision was. He says that this man's face was etched in his mind and every day he can perfectly see this man's face. And he says it was the emotion when this man was hit. And of course, this man was dead as soon as he was hit with a 50 cal machine gun. He fell face down into the water. He says that looking at his this man's face, trying to judge his emotions, he said it was a haunting blend of confusion, sadness, and a myriad of emotions that, quote, I struggle to put into words. Yet there was something more unsettling, something that defied logical explanation. As the bullets claimed their devastating toll, the man's body crumpled and he fell face first into the murky waters below. But before he vanished from sight, something inexplicable occurred. It sends shivers down my spine just recalling it. I swear to you, as implausible as it may sound, his gaze pierced through the camera lens as if he was staring directly into my soul. Oh, God. So, what do you guys think? That is uh, apparently what it's like to see someone get killed. Um, well, what ha- what happened with the rest of the mission? Yeah, <laughs> yeah what happened? Uh, well, he survived enough to request the story. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, I mean, the the mission went pretty bad after that. I mean, it didn't get any worse, but somehow he survived. Um, did every um everyone in the team, Alpha and Bravo, make it out alive? What happened to the door the door kicker? Yeah. Um. He didn't want to share share those that information. Okay. So that's it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you, to Joe Sargent, for reaching out. Like that's an incredible. It's like you 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 know like like I said before like as someone who is not overseas who has not enlisted in the armed forces it's like you know this is going on but at the same time you put it out of your brain because you don't want to think about it and you don't realize how it affects the people that are over there. You just know that they're over there fighting for a cause that they signed up for to protect our country. And even if they're over there, you know, that's what they signed up for to protect our country. Like that's so ingrained into their brain that you don't realize what they have to face every single day and what kind of decisions they have to make if they're in that kind of situation. Like, like, I can't like and that's and that's why I that's why I that's why I have the opinion that I have about like arming myself like I couldn't have that decision over someone like I couldn't put myself in that situation to to feel like and from what Joe says it's like he thought about like sealing that person's fate or letting him live and having that like God complex but not like oh yeah like I get to decide if you live or die like it was not That's something that pressure. was, a, yeah, like, how can you put yourself, you can't, like, it, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond. And so, I mean, 
thank you to Joe Sargent, whoever you are that reached out to John. And I mean, well, this story still haunts Joe. He was telling me, oh. and it's not that he killed that man because you know he wanted to. He had just, to. War yeah. is that's war. I mean, and, and I'm I'm sure it it drives him almost mad to to probably a lot of unanswered questions about that decision. Yeah. Oh and yeah. And not Always. knowing whether or not that was but at, at the same time like all of the situation and context that I'm hearing like I can't imagine making a different no. decision oh, honestly. Yeah. No, and at the same time like like the fact that he was in that situation, you know, regardless of what happened in that situation, he was put in that position because he was capable to do that. And, mm. and, yeah. and he proved himself and he knew what was right versus what was wrong. Yes. And if anyone else was in that situation, you know, they it, may have made a different call that could have put other people in danger. Correct. Yes. Very well said. Very well said, Jen. So, I mean, you know, like, his life was on the line. His team's life was on the line. There was a threat and he wanted to make sure that he made the best decision for everyone, not for himself in that situation, not for, not for the glory, not for the glory, the, not for the kicks of it, not to be like, oh yeah, I got a kill in Afghanistan when I was blah, 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 where he can go and get thousands of free drinks and get first class boarding on an airport. Like, like honestly, it, you can't you 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 can't put yourself in that situation unless you were there, and you can't really say whether or not you would make the same decision because you weren't there, you weren't trained for it, you didn't spend months and years prepping for that specific mission. Like that was your one job, and you you you, you know did it. Joe did his job. Yep. You know Joe, Joe did his job. Joe, you did your job. Let uh, me read a, a couple of of the comments in the live chat. Uh, you know, uh, Shram said, I'm, I'm really glad that you got to help him share his story. Um, Martin agreed, man, that was intense. Christy said, uh, to hug, give you a hug for us for sharing the story. We really appreciate it. Um, Christy says that truly encapsulates a small portion of the pressure placed on our vets. Brittany said such a heartfelt story. I don't think I will ever forget it. Um, Shram says feeling the full accountability and awareness and not feeling the power. That's well said too. Thank you guys. So, Ooh, Brittany says best story on TM2M. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it, it's, I mean, it's different though. It's not like our typical murder story. This is, this is different. Like I, you can't really count it as a murder. I think it's, it's a mission. Talk mission to me. But it per- puts it into perspective. Like, like taking someone's life is. Yeah. You, I mean, you can't get in that. No. That, uh, yeah. Even if you're trained to do it, it's still a hard decision to make. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you guys like that. You want to be back in 30 minutes? 30 minutes sounds perfect. We'll be back at 3.30 Eastern. For our Supremos, and you can join us there. All right, well, we'll see you in 30 minutes. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I'll tell Joe everything you said. He He's going to appreciate all your kind comments. So that's all I have. Well, thank you to Joe, and thank you to all of our vets, John especially, my dad, anyone, Nicole's brother-in-law, Omar. You know, thank you for um, fighting to keep what we have, um, you know, to keep us safe and to protect us. We, we, we appreciate it. It, so thank you. All right. Until next time. Good night, you lovely, lovely people.